Well, good morning and welcome. It is great to see you guys this morning. You know, usually I'm in Sullivan, so I don't get to see you guys face to face. So it's great to see your faces this morning and connect with you. Um, I'm surprised by how many new faces there are from time to time. So if I haven't met you before, um, it'd be great to meet you at some point in time, but I can't meet all of you after church. So anyway, glad to be here with you. Great to connect with you this morning. I was in high school just a couple of years ago. If you're over 55, you get that. If you're younger, you maybe not get that. But anyway, I, I'm younger than I look. But anyway, I was in high school just a few years ago. I felt like I, I was a little more than a few. And I remember that there was this award that some of you who would be a little bit older might remember. It's called a Presidential Council of Physical Fitness. Anybody remember that? Yeah. A handful of you. All right. Anybody get the patch? Oh, yeah. A couple of you won. Oh, good. So we've got some competitors here. That's good. Remember that patch? That patch was pretty important. When you were 16 or 15, it was like the thing that like set you apart because you passed the test, right? And they would send out these posters in the mail that had all the things that you needed to pass and the statistics that needed to happen for you to get the patch. And I, I wore a jean jacket in that day because jean jackets were kind of in. I see a few jean jackets here. So, you know, I'm, I know they're kind of coming back. So I see like the wardens wear them. So they must be trendy. So that's, that's great. Um, but anyway, so I had a, and it was a jean jacket with a patch was the thing to have when you were in high school. And so I was, I wanted that patch because I wanted to kind of be fit in. And I kind of wanted the idea of having a patch and I thought it was cool. So there were some things you had to do. You had to do things like a shuttle run, 50 yard dash, a mile run. You had to throw a softball. If you're old enough, you remember that the new ones didn't have that, but you did all of those kinds of things so that you could get the patch. And so you knew the test was coming and, you know, you would do all these things to get ready for it. I knew I wasn't in t uh, too athletic, so I knew I was going to have to practice a little bit. Like, I wasn't going to make the mile run time without practicing. Uh, neither was I going to do pull-ups without practicing because I was terrible at pull-ups, still am. A uh, little side note. But anyway, so those are the kind of things that I wanted to do. And so I wanted it that because I wanted to pass the test. Now, I didn't just hope that I got good enough. I actually knew kind of there was tests coming. I didn't know exactly when, and I didn't even know exactly what, because they would kind of pop up occasionally. But I knew that I was going to have to pass some tests. And so I prepared myself to pass tests by things like running, throwing a softball, you know, exercising, those sorts of things. And much like that is sort of how our life is. Like, we know we're going to be tested. We know maybe a lot of things about the, there's going to be things coming our way. We don't always know what they are. Sometimes there are things that we plan for. Sometimes there are things that you have no idea that are coming down the pike towards you at that particular point in time. And maybe even this week, some of you have been tested. You've been tested by family, maybe your kids. Maybe if you're uh, a kid, maybe it's your parents. Uh, maybe it's something like you ate too much, you drank too much, or you wanted to, or your job wasn't what you had hoped. So you felt tested even this week, and you realized you need to have something to help you overcome some of those tests. Last week, we talked about a little bit, and Daniel did a great job when he said, we will be tested. And I agree with him. We will be. We have a real enemy, though. It's not flesh and blood. So lest you think over these last couple years that it was flesh and blood, I got news for you. It's not. And the scripture even tells us that. It tells us it's not flesh and blood. But it's a thief who comes against us. We also talked a little bit last week out of 1 John 2, that the enemy tempts us specifically in basically three areas. And if you remember, this verse says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, test, a craving for everything we see, test again, and a pride for our achievements and possessions, test again, right? 
These are not from the Father, but they are from the world. So in this series, we've been particularly looking at tests and kind of where they come from and how this works. And John 10.10, a scripture you might be familiar with, but it's Jesus speaking when he says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose, Jesus' purpose, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Two very different purposes. So how do we live a rich and satisfying life if we know we're going to be tested, we know they might be difficult, and we know there might be things that we don't want to deal with in life because there are lots of things that we don't want to deal with, right? But they come anyway. We have to deal with them. So how do we prepare? What do we do? Well, we don't actually have a ton of control necessarily of how the test is going to happen many times. They just, they happen. But the good news is this. We are not powerless. Our Heavenly Father doesn't leave us powerless. He actually empowers us to take the test. And we're going to see that we're actually empowered by a very powerful weapon. And this morning, I would particularly particularly talk about the weapon of the word. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for your presence this morning. We're grateful for the word of God in our hands. Lord, something that we can read, we can memorize, we can put our hands to. Thank you that you're here with us this morning. And over these next few moments we're together, would you just open our hearts, Lord, open our minds that we could hear from you in a fresh new way. Lord, that we'd allow you to soak from our head down to our heart and really change us from the inside out. Thank you for your blessings, Father, and thank you that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start by looking back at the chapter that we talked about last week, which is out of Luke 4, uh, verse 1 through 4. It's kind of the anchor text that we're going to be using for this series, but I want to read that uh, because it helps kind of put us in a place where we understand what was going on in Jesus' testing. So Luke 4. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all that time and he became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, the devil, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Now, just a side note here, but Jesus was extremely hungry. It tells us he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went into the wilderness. He's there for 40 days. He doesn't eat anything at all. And I understand in fasting, I fasted for a few days, never fasted for 40 days, but I fasted for a few days. And this is what's happening. It happened to me anyway. I'm hungry, really, really hungry when I start. And then I don't get very hungry at all. And then I kind of lose my hunger. And then... At 40 days, they tell us that basically what happens is you get extremely hungry again and your body goes into this place where it's basically in starvation mode. And if you don't get some food pretty soon, you, you're going you're gonna to suffer consequences. And so that's where Jesus was at. Jesus was in a place where he was in a major struggle for food and he was about ready to physically be falling apart. So when we're in that place, we're in a place of weakness. And honestly, the devil's tactics have not changed that much, right? When we are in our weakest spots is when he loves to attack us. So when we are physically weak, we are spiritually vulnerable for what he wants to do and when he wants to come against us. So the devil knew that. He knew that that was happening. And we, he knew that Jesus had just come from not eating for 40 days and he's extremely hungry. His body is about ready to go in starvation mode. And he's like, hey, Jesus, there's some stones. You could make those into bread and eat them. Now, the passage actually says it this way, and I think it's important that we look at the passage for what it is 
and not kind of just let our minds wander, since we're talking about the word being a weapon. He said, the passage we read said, if you're the son of God, the passage actually translates more clearly, since you are the son of God, make these stones into bread. Now, the text has a lot of deep meaning, and we're going to explore that a little bit, but the reality is, what is the problem here? So in my kind of my physical, just me being me, I'm like, okay, what's the problem? There's not a problem with food. Jesus is not saying there's a problem with food. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying there's a problem with his power because we know that Jesus is powerful. So what was really the test that Satan was testing him for? And incidentally, just a side note, when Satan tests you, sometimes it's helpful to take a step back and realize what's the test, what's this test about? Because it often goes deeper than just the surface level of what it looks like. So it wasn't just, here, Jesus, eat some food. It was much deeper than that. So you see that the devil was actually coming against him, actually tempting him to wonder about what God's plan, whether it was a good one or not. He's actually coming against him and saying, is your provision enough for me? Maybe not. It's like, Jesus, you know, is the father really going to provide for you? Maybe you should turn those stones into bread so you can get something to eat. Because I don't know if the father's going to really provide for you. So he, he's causing questioning to begin to happen. And so it, what happens in our lives is we want to act on our own behalf. He's actually saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, maybe you should act on your own, own behalf because God's plan's not all that good. That's actually kind of the, what he's trying to say here. And Jesus recognized that. So Jesus, taking a step back, recognized, hey, here's the real enemy. Here's what he's trying to do. He took a step back and looked at it. But the enemy still does that to us today. He wants to instill doubt in us that God's plan will never be good enough. His provisions are not enough. And if you are being tested right now, can I just assure you, God's plans are good enough. And the word actually gives you the power to believe that. And we're going to talk about that as we go go through a little bit. But let's look at Jesus' testing. How did he respond? It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he goes to the written word. He goes to the word that was already written. Obviously, he didn't have this like it was now, but he would have looked at a scroll. And he goes back to it. He looks at Deuteronomy 8.3. Now, he had this in him already, and he quotes it back. And Deuteronomy 8.3, just as a side, was actually referring to when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they were hungry and they wanted food. And so manna was their provision that they were given as food for their journey. So this is referring to that. So Jesus would have known that context for this. But this is what he says in, Matthew, in Luke uh, 4, verse 4. It says, it is written, this is Jesus quoting back, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, he's saying, no, I don't need to provide for myself. God's provision for me is enough. That's actually what he's saying in that verse when he's quoting that back to the devil. And there's a key verse in here that I want to just look at and a key word that I think is kind of helpful. And it's a little bit of a side note, but it's, it's helpful as we go through this to understand what is he talking about when he talks about the word. So the word, putting in quotation marks, the word word translated is used harema, which is the idea of a spoken or uttered word. And then there's a word logos that gets used also, which talks more about the written word, like the, it's the total Bible. So you're talking about kind of two different things, the same thing, but slightly different in the translation, a little bit of it gets lost. That harema word is the same word that gets used in Ephesians chapter six, verse 17. <clears throat> when we see the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. So 
when he talks about the sword of the spirit, he actually uses the word of God. The word of God is a sword, is essentially what this is saying. It's helpful to remember that, that the sword that we talk about. So it gives us battle preparation for something that is greater than just battling against people. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's actually against principalities and powers. Sorry, my throat is giving me fits. And I know that clearing it on the microphone is really annoying. To, it's annoying to me too. So I sure wish it was a, a raspy voice or clearing your throat. But <clears throat> I will make it through this. <laughs> the reality is flesh and blood. People are not our enemy. Principalities and powers, which in this translation simply is evil powers. So evil in the world, evil in the heavens. That's what we're battling against. We need something more than a physical tool to do battle against principalities and powers. That's what he's kind of telling us here in the scripture. And I want to notice that the, this, it actually gets referred to as the sword many times. So the, the word is referred to as a sword. It's referred to as something that's active and cutting. But our temptation is not to go, when we're tempted, what we want to do is we want to kind of go back to just figuring it out on our own, right? We want to figure out, oh, if I could just solve the problem, find the issue, get to the end of things, get to the bottom of this. If I could do this on my own. But what he's not, what he's talking about in our test is that's our temptation is to go into that. But we have a weapon. We have a weapon that we can use, he's saying, to battle that that's not just me. That we can use and we can be prepared for testing that we know is coming, much like my test I did as a kid. But here's the deal, guys. We have a test that is an open book, right? Right here. We open the book. That's how you get through testing. And so you have an opportunity to take the book, open the book, and helps you go through tests. It's an open book test. If you're a student, you loved open book tests. I hated quizzes. Pop quizzes were not my thing. Some of you could maybe kind of work your way through those by guessing at things. Not me. It wasn't my deal. Open book tests were awesome. But the word is our weapon. Like this is the sword that we use. This is the weapon that we use. The word, right? So how do we ready ourselves for testing? If we know it's coming, we're going to talk about that just a little bit because I think it's important for us to realize it does take some readying. It takes a little preparation on our part. We have a great example how Jesus responded, and I want to look at that even a little bit more. But, you know, in our time today, you can find just about anything on the Internet at any moment, right? Like, I don't have my phone. It's over there because of distractions in my own brain. If I have it in my pocket, I'm distracted. If it's buzzing, it might be my wife texts me or whatever, I'm distracted, and I don't, I don't want to do that. But in today's world, we have all kinds of access to all kinds of things. But honestly, here's the reality, guys. When you're tested, do you need another blog post or podcast to listen to or Facebook suggestion? Those things might be interesting. They might be handy at times. I go there when I'm trying to repair something all the time. Here's the reality. When you're tested and life is tough and you will go through some tough times, you actually don't need social media. Yikes, I just said it. I might be in trouble later, but I'm sorry. Uh, we actually need the written word. We actually need the living word of God to change our lives, right? That's actually what we need. Not another thing, another quick quote or those kinds of things. We need more, way more than that. We need the written word. And we can prepare for those tests we know are coming. And two things that we'll look at today primarily are this. There's more, but know the word 
and pray the word. So in knowing the word, we, you know, we believe that the Bible is the Holy Spirit inspired word of God written down by men. We do not believe it's an obsolete, non-applicable, old-fashioned thing. So actually, 2 Timothy 3, the word breathed comes in. It says, scriptures are God-breathed, written down by man. Holy Spirit-inspired. This book is amazing. It is a God-inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired men to write this book. It's the word of God. It's his written word. And as a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with somebody who said, my situation is unique. And there are lots of unique situations. There's also some that aren't. But um, that's a side note. I didn't need to say that. Um, you're in second service, so I'm a little off. I'm a little off sometimes, second service. I'm just warning you. But, you, you know, the reality is this book has come through for me over and over and over and over again for unique circumstances in people's lives. When I didn't know what to say and I didn't know what to do, and the Holy Spirit will highlight something, and you open the book, and you read it, and you're like, whoa, it applies. And they go, wow, I didn't know the Bible said that. I'm like, yeah, maybe I didn't either. But the Holy Spirit inspired things to come away. Some of you know this about me, but, you know, I grew up really uh, appreciating the Word of God, and I still do to this day. I'm very thankful for my heritage. My dad was a, a pastor who worked at another job, so he was a lay pastor. But I grew up in a, I went to a Christian school, and so um, I didn't memorize much of the scripture. I'm kind of like almost ashamed to say that to you today. I'm talking about this. But when I was about 16, I was a junior in high school. Things changed for me because somebody thought it was a good idea for us to memorize 18 to 24 verses a month. Sounds real motivating, doesn't it, as a 16-year-old? Um, but anyway, but here was the deal. We got to do things like go out of the classroom. We, we, got, we got benefits out of it. Like if you did this, you could do these things. Didn't have to have passes to go do things that you should do. Like it was pretty rewarding. So motives were bad. I memorized it because I wanted to go have freedom. I'll admit. But the reality is this, little did I know, little did I know that how many times my memory, things would come back, the Holy Spirit would highlight something and I'd go, yep, I got that in my memory already. Because I had taken time to commit it to my mind, it was amazing, but the Holy Spirit would use that over and over and still does today. Some of you might have actually memorized scripture, and I, I don't know, how many have you actually did any kind of like memorizing scripture when you were younger, or maybe when you're older even? Good, lots of you. I just want to encourage you, do it. it. I know it's challenging, just do a verse, like one verse at a time. You know, there's some short verses in the Bible. Uh, there's some two-word verse. there's a two-word verse in the Bible. It's Jesus wept, in case anybody wants to know. I know you all know that already, because you've all memorized it, because you can raise your hand, right? <laughs> See, I got you. I, I figured you guys out. But, you know, knowing the word looks like more than just memorizing it. It actually looks like letting it settle into our hearts and come to life. And knowing the word actually is partly this. It's partly reading the word. So I don't have the whole Bible memorized, obviously. But you know what I do? For the last 28 years, I've read through the Bible every year. Because I want to know the word. I want it to settle in my heart. And it takes discipline in my life. Yep, it does. And do I mess up? Yep. I do, because it's, it's sometimes hard to get it in sync with everything in your life. But the reality is this. When you make a commitment to read the Bible, you begin to know the word. 
It's a process that happens. And you, I hear people say this to me, and so if you're saying this to me right now, I'm going to debunk you real quick. But if you say, well, that's just in my head, Jim. Yeah, but you know how it gets to your heart? Through your brain. So, like, it's a trait, track that goes through from your head to your heart. And we, we, want to, we want to work through that. So knowing it looks more than just like memorizing it. It looks like reading it. It looks like taking time. And you can find all kinds of reading things online. You can find them. I prefer a Bible because I actually like to have a mind's all paste paper and it's all wrinkled up. But I like that. I, I appreciate having the written word in my hands, but you can do it electronically as well. I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, it still sinks into your head and goes into your heart that way. I've actually found over the years, it's just helpful for me, for me to have a place to do that. So a side note, if you're going to start reading, find a spot, a quiet spot to sit down and do it, and then just make it a practice in your life. And it'll be amazing, the peace that you feel coming over you. But, you know, studying the word and memorizing it and having it in my head is all good. But what happens when it comes to life, you experience it in your life. and It comes to life in your heart and it changes you. A few weeks ago, I received a call with some tragic news. And every Tuesday we do meetings up here. So I come up here every Tuesday. I was on my way up here and I got the call um, that I did not, not want to get. And it was my friend's, my best friend, actually, it was his son-in-law, young father, three kids. I'd just seen him the week before at my daughter's wedding, talked with him, had suddenly passed away. It was one of the hardest things I had, had to do in my life was to call my kids. And I'm like, I do not want to do this. But we finally kind of worked our way through it. And I was distracted that day in meetings because it just would mess with my brain. But, you know, when I'm in that place, when I'm kind of tested like things, I, I tend to want to distract myself. So kind of think about something else. And I don't know how, about how you are. So maybe you're tested by other things. So maybe you want to, I don't know, eat too much, drink too much. I don't know what your thing is. For me personally, it's more like a distract myself. If I can just get off of this thing, think about something else, like try to solve the problem my own way or whatever, then I don't have to think about what's really going on inside me. So that's the mode I was in. And as we went to the cemetery and the graveside service um, was our family. Lori and I have six children. It was our family and their spouses and th that family. And incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult. I wasn't paying attention because I was in distraction mode, I'm admitting. But the pastor who was doing the service there was saying a lot of things. And honestly, I, heard, I, just, I just heard nothing he said. All I could think about was three kids without a dad, and a, and a young wife who I knew well, who's like my daughter, um, was going to be with her husband. And I was like, how are we going to solve this, Lord? And I actually wasn't asking the Lord, quite honestly. got to say that. I was just solving it myself. And then he began to read this, and he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I, it, was, it just struck me in my heart. And that memorization that I'd done in my brain, because I'm, have memorized this passage. Many of you have too. I've read it many times at a funeral. But it hit me in a different way because it settled into my heart. You see, it was activated. It said, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. And I realized it is not up to me to have solutions. I don't have to solve the problems that are in front of me. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God is the restorer, not me. Oh, wow, like truth, right, is hitting me right now in my heart. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
He's not going to leave us. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My heart was struck in a way it has not been struck by that passage ever before. And I realized that those living words were brought to life as they began to go from my head to my heart. But because I memorized it, because I knew it, because I know the word, you see, the Holy Spirit highlighted the word to me. And it helped bring peace to my distractions. It helped me to focus. I actually became present for comforting others around me and my own family. But knowing the word directs our hearts and minds towards God. It actually helps us to come into alignment with what he's saying. Another thing that helps with that is actually the second thing, which is praying the word, taking time to look at the word and pray your word back to him. The word is powerful. And it is, as it says in Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And you know, there's the reference again, right? Doing battle, back to that same word. We pull out the sword, which is the word, to do battle against principalities and powers. Not against people, against principalities and powers. That's what we're pulling out. The verse we looked at just says that and talks about this idea, like the written word, when we read it, when we pray it back to him, it helps us to align our hearts as we pray to our heavenly father. It aligns our hearts with his. It helps the journey from my head to my heart to begin when I'm able to pray that back to him. I'll just look at an example of this. So Romans 8 Verse 38 and 39, some of you may know Romans 8, 38 and 39. You may know it well, but I want to sort of show you kind of how um, that works in us. Verse 38, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. There's a lot of that going on, incidentally. Nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. The power in, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So just let me show you kind of how I would pray that back. And so just, so the same scripture, you just kind of bring that personally to you. And you would pray this more like something like, Father, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate me from your love, nor death, nor life, not angels or demons, not fear about today or tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate me from your love. Like praying back to him helps the truth to be revealed even greater in my heart. And it takes the journey into my, it it helps me to experience it. The word becomes alive to me. But realizing that I'm inseparable and praying a prayer like nothing can separate me. I am not separable. When does the devil come against us? We talked about this earlier. When does he want to come against us? When we're at the weakest, right? He wants us to believe the lie that we are separated. You are not connected. You are separated. He wants us to believe the reality that our weaknesses will never be different. So he's casting doubt on us. And what the word says is, I am convinced that nothing. So when we pray that back, we begin to get the truth of God coming alive in our hearts and just, just a side note to this, if you're a parent, or, or actually I'm going to say grandparent because I'm a grandparent, so 
I know grandparents, I'll speak to you first. Like, do you ever want to fix your grandkids? <laughs> you can't. I just want to give you a quick hit. You can't. But do you ever want to? Like, every once in a while, I, they need to be fixed. I won't say too much because they might be watching me right now. But anyway, um, you know, every once in a while, I get tempted to fix them. And parents, I'm guessing every once in a while you get tempted to fix your kids. I did as a parent. Still do. But the reality and the truth is this. Praying scripture over your kids and grandkids is powerful. My wife, Lori, we've been married. We will be married 40 years next year, actually, which is unbelievable. But anyway, she has prayed this over our kids for years. She just looks at scripture and prays it over them. There's books that you can get, but here's what I want to encourage you. Rely on the Holy Spirit. When you don't know what to pray and you're not sure what to do to help that rascally person out in your life, would you take time to let the Holy Spirit highlight what's in your head and let it come to your heart and then pray it back to him? It is powerful, parents. I challenge you to do it and to do it regularly because I think it's something that will have great benefit for you and for your children as well. But you know, somewhat like I prepared for the test as a kid because I wanted to succeed at the end, we can prepare. This is not, oh, you're on your own. It's an open book test that we can prepare for. That's the great news, right? And praying the living word, the written living word that Jesus used to come against tests like he did with when the devil tested him is powerful. It provides freedom to us and it provides truth to sometimes when we don't really want to figure out, we can't figure out the truth because we're just confused and life is sometimes difficult. But the sword of the spirit, which honestly is the written word, combined with the Holy Spirit highlighting it to us is the most powerful thing we can do. Next week, actually, you're going to, we're going to talk about, I believe, the Holy Spirit, or the worship next week. And it, when you start putting these things together, they are powerful. People are like, I'm powerless. My life is boring. My life is a mess, whatever. You're, you're not looking in the right place. There's power. It's power available. The sword is available. Grab it. The written word wields great power. It says it is a two-edged sword, and it will go after principalities and powers. We actually need that in our lives. I'm going to close with this. I want to read Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, and then I want to take time to pray it over us, and it will be on the screen as well. But this is Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will understand God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. We're going to put this on the screen and this prayer. I know it might be a little tough to pray uh, with me, but I, I want to pray this together if we can. Um, is it on the screen? There we go. Yeah. So if you would read with me this prayer as we close over ourselves. Okay. So Father, remove worry from us and empower us to pray about everything. Father, we bring our needs before you, and we are so grateful for all you are doing. Thank you that we can experience your peace that goes beyond our ability to comprehend. Thank you that your peace grounds and keeps us and guards us. Pray with me. Father, <laughs> your word's amazing. Like, we're so grateful for how you allow us to have the written word in our hands and 
how you come along, Holy Spirit comes along and highlights things, Lord. It becomes from a written word in our brain to a living word in our hearts, and it activates us, and it shows us your plan for a hurting, messy place that we live in sometimes. Thank you that you are with us. And like even in the testing, you're not leaving us, Father, but you're preparing us, and you're equipping us with a sword. You're giving us the word of God to use today. You're an amazing father. And even now as we go to worship, Lord, and we come to worship you through song, we want to acknowledge that the reality is we need to open ourselves to you, but we need to allow the words that we sing even to settle into our hearts today to change us. In Jesus' name, amen.